0: You are listening to and watching the Beyond Sets and Reps Research to Reps Roundtable. I'm your host, Pat Ivey, and joining me are co-hosts, Javar Gillette with the Houston Rockets and Ted Lambranitas, who is the director of sports science with the NFL. Our goal is to have science move from research to practical application. We will provide resources that can help you be the best professional possible. Okay, we are here. We are live for our first, first session of Research to Reps Roundtable. I'm your co-host, Pat Ivey, from Behind Sets and Reps, and I'm going to introduce myself just a little bit. Uh, Currently, well, I'll go backwards, and for over 20 years, I was a college strength and conditioning coach, former professional NFL athlete, college athlete as well, and I am now an administrator. Associate Athletics Director for Student Athlete Health and Performance at the University of Louisville, overseeing sports medicine, sports nutrition, sports performance, sports science, mental health, mental performance for all of the athletes. And we are starting something here, and I have a few guests. They're going to introduce themselves. So up first, I'm going to pass it to uh, Coach Javar Gillette.
1: Hey, Pat, thanks for, uh, for joining in on this, uh, this- uh, this team, team-based team approach, right? Uh, so my name is Javar. I'm the Director of Athletic Performance for the Houston Rockets. This is my uh, sixth season currently with the Rockets. And uh, prior to that, I was with the Detroit Tigers for 14 years, uh, served in the minor leagues for four, and then 10 years as uh, the Director of Strength and Conditioning there. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's a pleasure to be on uh, – such a, a tremendous group of people. Uh, the vision is to really bridge the gap between uh, the research, the science, and the application, uh, and dive a little bit into the, the mindset as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a balanced approach, right? So we can, we can take mind and body and, and improve performance on a daily basis, right? So it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely. Next up, Coach, I'm just called Coach anyway, Coach Ted Lambranitas.
1: Hey. You guys hear him? No, sir. Teddy, you might be muted. Nope. Can you hear me now? Yep.
0: There we go. All
1: right. Daniel. Why don't you mute yourself for right now? <clears throat> mute yourself for right now.
0: <laughs> <I'm> so <laughs> he's a trouble buddy. guy. Trouble guy.
2: No, I'm Ted Lambertidis. Um, for the last six years, I've been serving as the sports science consultant with the NFL and the uh, PFAS professional football athletic trainer society. Um, so each month I provide teams, uh, with research updates, um, provide consulting for teams that have, uh, questions on, uh, a lot of the game day tracking that may occur with the NFL and as well with, with, with their, uh, practice tracking systems. And, uh, also do a lot of work
0: with uh, major colleges as well. Thank you, Ted. Next up is our guest, Christopher Simmons.
3: Hello, everybody. My name is Christopher Simmons, University of Memphis, athletic trainer. On a day-to-day basis, I work with men's basketball. I moved back to my alma mater last summer after 10 years at the University of Kentucky men's basketball. And before that, Overall, I've been with Coach Cal for 13 years, and I'm happy to be here with you guys to talk about basketball and healthcare and performance and tying that all together without the silos in the building. All right. Coach Shapiro, Coach Daniel Shapiro, yeah. intro.
4: Yes, uh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, my name is, like you said, Daniel Shapiro. I'm currently the head strength and conditioning coach for the L.A. Clippers. Uh also, currently the president of the NBSCA, which is the National Basketball Strength and Conditioning Association. It's our organization of all the strength and conditioning professionals in the NBA. Uh, going backwards, i just kind of work backwards. This is my third season here. For that, I was four years as director of uh, athletic performance for men's basketball at the University of Washington. For that, I was eight years the head strength coach for the Sacramento Kings. Two years the head strength coach for Men's Women's Basketball University, of Dayton, and then seven years before that for the assistant strength conditioning coach for the once upon a time Seattle Supersonics. So uh, here I am and uh, happy to be here.
0: Absolutely. So thank you all for being here with us. What we're going to do is uh, try to provide a resource for anyone that is providing care for athletes, so if you're an athletic trainer, if you're a nutritionist, if you're a strength and conditioning coach, sports scientist, mental health, mental performance person, and we're going to take the research and talk about the research and how it applies to uh, and, and in terms of practical application to real life situations. And right now, we're we know we're in the uh, hopefully somewhere in the middle of the coronavirus epidemic or pandemic. And we know that our athletes are, wherever they are, at home, we're hoping that they're training and following good exercise, prescription. Well, these athletes are eventually going to have to return to our facilities. And what does the research say? What can we get from the research that can help us to drive decisions Uh, that that we can, so when we're in conversations together with our administrators and with our head coaches, we can um, understand what best practices are and um, hopefully we can engage with each other and having great conversation and, and sharing information, which is typically not done in strength and conditioning in in some levels, but more so in other, other um, I guess industries. Uh, So with that being said, i like to start it off and just talk about what do we think we're going to be faced with when our athletes return to campus? What are the major concerns? What does the research say that can help us make some informed decisions?
2: Well, I think, Pat, what's going to be interesting is with this uh, pandemic, (laughs) this will be, I think, the first time – in uh, college professional uh, athletics that we've been faced with this. Uh, I know NBA, NFL have had lockouts. Uh, College athletics has not had a situation like this arise before. So I think the real crucial thing is, and I think what's great about today's um, roundtable is the, the critical factors are the collaboration between an administrator, a coach, an athletic trainer, So I think the teams that have great collaboration, everybody's on the same page. It's a player-centric approach. I think they're the ones that are going to have the best return to play Uh, because I think in terms of when kids come back, they'll be all over the place in terms of fitness levels. I think it's a guess at best to figure that out. But I think if people use the CSCC, NSCA – position paper on guidelines for return to play. And there was a lot of input from the NCAA and the NATA with that document. Um, It gives you enough notice now to take those guidelines, implement what your training template looks like within the guidelines of that document.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. So knowing that that information is out there, how do we help the professionals in our industry?
1: Yeah, and to piggyback off of what Ted is saying is, you know, it's just like sport, right? Any sport you play, you have, you know, time dispersed throughout a game. Who's What team is has the best ability to make adjustments as the game goes on, right? So I think coming back to sport now, the teams that, are able to adjust the individuals that are able to adjust the best are gonna are gonna end up having making the best transition back to sport uh, in our case in basketball you know we might have to compete uh, in the playoffs so in that case you know the team that is able to make the biggest adjustment the player that is is able to make the biggest adjustments um, the best adjustments really uh, and that's where we come in is using science and research to help guide them in the right direction. Uh, and that's going to allow them to succeed. So those that are able to make those adjustments properly are going to have an edge on, on those that don't. Right. And so us as professionals, if we can guide them in the right direction, using research uh, you know, how much, you know, how detrained are these guys going to be? How can we progress them properly once they do return to play? How can we progress them properly? Um, you know, uh, where they don't have a setback and get hurt. But at the same time, we're getting them in tip-top shape, ready to compete at the highest level.
0: Yeah. Well, Chris, from an athletic trainer standpoint, what are you well, thinking? What are your concerns?
3: My concerns is just to, um, when they come back, we, we, we're going to look at it as, as – I'm going to be in the off season. I'm, I'm in the off season right now, so it's going to be a new year when they come back and they all going to be deconditioned. So we start back at day one, physicals, sickle cell testing, all that starts over for us. And that's, um, whereas you guys in the NBA, you guys got to ramp up real quick and get back into the games, get back on TV, get ready for the playoffs. Mine is going to be kind of slower based um, because my guys are at home right now. And the presidents of the universities are trying to figure out when they are going to let them back on campus. But, I'm basing everything back down to starting over the off season with uh, the strength coach and the physical therapist and starting over our annual plan and starting at zero when they come back and looking at all factors, looking at the physical, doing baseline testing, and then slowly moving back into a normal day day life.
0: And you said slowly, that's not what I'm hearing. Um, I know some, I'm hearing a six week time span. Maybe I'm hearing that number, but I also heard something about the pot with the sport of football of going back to two a days. Yes. Um, so we're going to have coaches that have sport coaches that have one, they they more faster, some more, let's do more. Let's do a lot, whatever it is up front and, and, get the soreness out of the way. I remember hearing coaches say that. Let's get the soreness out of the way. All right. And we're going to have the sports scientists that are going to want to look at different uh, measures. We have the sports medicine who are going to be looking at it from the health standpoint. We have the strength and conditioning coaches who are going to be looking at it from the performance, like who's out of shape? who's who's been doing what they're supposed to be doing, Um, you know, and we're going to have athletes all over the board. Some did more than they were supposed to. Like they, they may be close to being overtrained when they return. You have some that are going to be severely undertrained when they return. How are we going to help them? What does the research say that we can help? How can we help?
2: I think when you you look at the, uh, you know, position paper there, Pat, um, where a lot of the six weeks return to, uh, you know, before the week one of college football is to start, uh, I think a lot of the tentative proposals are the first two weeks are just literally the strength coach uh, and the players. And then they'll progress and doing position drills with the coaches. And at that point, that's where (laughs) – you have to make sure that those position coaches understand there has to be a progression in terms of the work they're doing on the field. Um, And then you'll have a couple of weeks with those coaches and then you'll have organized team activities. I think with regard to the two-a-days, I think that would be one padded practice and the recommendations I'm hearing another, essentially an NFL type walkthrough without helmets. Because once you put a helmet on, even if you have no pads on, they're going to be banging heads. And I think there's some research to, you know, I think they used the research to get rid of two-a-days from those studies that if you were an unpadded practice with a helmet, there were still a lot of contact. So if they're going to allow two practices a day, you'll have to have one padded, one without helmets. Um, and still, I think it's the managing of the workloads. Like you said, Pat, to your point, you have a guy that he's probably close to game shape. You know, that they were on, you know, on point doing exactly what he was supposed to do. And then you get the kid who hasn't done anything. And that's why they came up with these recommendations and these position papers is for the outlier that comes back out of shape, might have sickle cell. And those are the kids that when they come back, I went them doing a lot of their conditioning under the supervision of the athletic trainer. Because if you put them in with the team setting, you – strength coaches and a lot of times it's the actual you know position coaches of the sport they forget the kid has underlying issues and you'll hear come on fat ass you just what he you been doing and a lot of the kids that push themselves too hard to get uh you know uh exertional exercise overload they they they're pleasers they try to please the coach and sometimes push themselves too much and so i think to protect the kid from the coach you you sequester them, sort of, so to speak, with uh, you know, have the athletic trainer supervise them, maybe on the other end of the field uh, from the rest of the team. What's your comments on that, Chris?
3: You're right on it from a healthcare standpoint, and, and especially with your kids, that's a single cell trait kid, and um, you got to really concentrate on those, and especially the deconditioned kids, so you can. Bring them back in a progression that's in, in accordance with the NCAA bylaws, bylaws of acclimatizing them back to sport, and so that's that that's right on with the research right there.
1: Yeah, we've we've been talking about even making adjustments to to our return to play testing and assessment um, in this new situation we're in um, if we do come back to play. So, do you think? that there, there might be some good adjustments we can make to ensure a guy is conditioned properly, um, you know, regard you know, is there anything new or, or something that we might want to add uh, that's that's quick, easy uh, that we can do to uh, measure a guy's uh, level of conditioning uh, without that. And you also have to take into account, I want to be able to educate my athlete on what's going to come next, right? So if I'm going to do a 300 yard shuttle and I don't typically do that with my athletes, uh, I'm going to want to make sure that they know that it's coming in, in the protocol. So is there any other protocols maybe that we could, we could implement just as an adjustment to this situation?
2: I think that what the position paper recommends on that is if you have a pre-existing assessment number on an athlete, that the testing values would be, you know, you would make modifications in the volume and intensity of that particular same test. And uh, if you have an athlete that's coming back, it could be in the order of, you know, 30 to 20% reduction in what they did uh, from a previous assessment.
1: So our expectations might have to be modified a little bit depending on, you know, our own situations, whether it's, you know, some, some, some teams aren't in season now, but I mean, even looking at, you know, baseball for, for, as another example, what, you know, these guys are trying to stay ready right now, you know, a pitcher has to be ready to to throw um, and, and there's fear of getting hurt. So when, you know, how do you, how do you adjust, how do you know that you're not throwing too much or you're, you're, you know, cause there is no end, end in sight or, or starting point in sight, right. Uh, mm-hmm. No deadline. Um it's hard to structure the program. Um, so the volume, I guess, should be adjusted, huh?
4: Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, usually in, you should be, you know, if, if let's just say that you've got normal game practice loads and then you're going to work back, say, three or four weeks, I would, you know, take, you know, around 10, 15% each week to, and try to lead up to get back to where we wanted. Okay. So, um, and let's
1: say we were to implement a conditioning test um, and our standards are a certain level, what is the percentage that we should uh, maybe uh, reduce that, those expectations uh, so that we're fair to the athlete, but at the same time, we can make a meaningful decision on their level of condition?
2: You know, I I think that the the position paper says about a 20% reduction uh, in some of those variables. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that would help is if you had any heart rate data that look at heart rate response, heart rate recovery from, you know, a previous test, um, you know, that could be used also as another measure to say, boy, this guy, he's back to where he was, Mm -hmm. you know, before we we split. So this guy stayed in phenomenal shape.
0: Yeah, Ted, when I was – when I was with the uh, San Diego Chargers, the um, the test, when you returned to camp, it was a treadmill test, I believe maybe interval, on the interval treadmill test. And the heart rate, they had the heart rates hooked up to us. And you could really push yourself really hard to pass that, the the, uh, the conditioning test itself, the interval um the interval test on the treadmill, but the heart rate data is what really gave the sports performance coaches an idea of where you were. Cause uh, did you struggle? How hard, what, what was your rate of exertion? Um, the same test, like could you do it and your heart rate main, you know, kept a low heart rate or was it something where you were almost at max heart rate? Um, so that's just something that came back. Um, yeah, but they also had the pre, so you know what the numbers were before you left. So after mini camp or after training, after mini camp before training camp, they knew what those numbers were, so that when you return six or weeks, six or seven weeks later, they knew, uh, you know, what your recovery was, what your recover recoverability was. Yeah,
2: and I know there's uh, some new uh, the U.S. military's. Uh, has uh, created some new algorithms that look at sequential heart rate data to estimate core body temperature. So if you do have athletes that, you know, could be at risk and you're not sure, you know, I think the use of these algorithms uh, gives the, you know, the coaches as well as the healthcare practitioners um, additional information to look at to see, Hey, is this guy's, you know, what's their estimated core body temperature? Cause, you have a lot of kids now that are on ADD medicine. And those particular, you know, classification of medicines, if you look at the, you know, chemical structure, they're very similar to amphetamines. So when you exercise, you want to dissipate heat, you want to have vasodilation. Those types of substances cause peripheral vasoconstriction, so you tend to hold more heat in. And the other thing that they do is they override the central governor system in your brain. So when you take people into the lab and you purposely try to get their body temperatures up as high as you can by just, you know, crushing them on a treadmill, people get 103, 103 103.5, and that's it. You'll see some kids that are on these medicines, and they're like 105, 107. So I would always make sure that as we get back, you know, to um, training in the hot environments I always keep an eye on those kids that are on the ADD medicine because just think about, uh, you know, why people take, you know, different pre-workout supplements, you know, to get a little bit of a, you know, a kick. And now you're taking this stuff and that really gives you a kick. So, uh, you know, it may allow you to work a little bit harder, but you have to be real careful that these kids don't overexert themselves.
0: Yeah that's that's interesting that's interesting because I don't know how much that information um is shared with everyone that has a uh you know that's working with the athlete um is that considered a mental health issue and uh the the mental health people um are protecting the athlete maybe uh and not sharing that information. Um, yeah. if, if, if you don't have a comprehensive integrated team approach, the strength and conditioning coach, the sports nutritionist, the hopefully the sports medicine people are, are aware, but maybe the position coaches and sport coaches are not aware. Exactly.
2: So, uh, yeah, if you look at a lot of the deaths that have happened at the collegiate and high school levels over, the last 10 years, uh, the incidence of the kids that drop dead that are on those, uh, it's, it's a very, very high correlation. Now, I understand that those medicines have a legitimate medical purpose for mental health reasons and uh, learning reasons, but they also, the, the practitioners in strength and conditioning, have to be aware of the potential side effects uh, with regard to exercise uh, for those athletes.
3: And that's a good point where we were talking about earlier about the silos, everybody having an integrated approach to this whole deal, because what you're saying is very important. ADHD is a factor in sport right now. It's something that I'm very close to my heart because I want to see my guys play at a high level, whatever they need to do that. I try to help them on a day-to-day basis, but at the same time, with the privacy laws and everything, you have to educate the student athlete or the professional athlete that I need you to trust me that I'm not going to release this to the wrong person, but I need my whole team to know what's going on with you on a day-to-day basis. That's where the lines of communication got to be open. And there's got to be trust and it starts on a day-to-day basis. But I I really like what you're saying there because that's, that's huge on the ADHD medicine. But at the same time, your hydration protocol got to be up to par because with that medicine, you do get dehydrated. So you really have to pump the fluids with your student-athletes, all your student-athletes, but especially your student-athletes or your professional athletes that are with that mental health issue. You have to really focus in on them, lock in with them. They're in a separate program with me um, on a day-to-day basis, making sure that they're at their best. But that's because I go over the call of duty on a day-to-day basis with my athletes. I don't have 100 athletes. Even if I did, that's just an extra – step I got to take to make sure that those mental health kids are taken care of because that's important. Yeah.
1: I think the first step is the education. Um, You know, second thing is making sure that everyone does their due diligence in that, you know, these athletes uh, if they are, you know, on a medication that's prescribed by a doctor, that it's for the right reasons. That's that's the second reason, right? And then from there, how do we get better at, and, and again, that goes back to education. So if we can perhaps provide, uh, you know, some sort of initiative program to those that are, um, are approved and prescribed by a, a medical doctor to take uh, any sort of medication that they are educated on, everything that goes with it. Right, and and so that they know, because um, uh, a lot of these kids just aren't educated. They don't know that there are side effects to certain uh, things, and there's side effects to everything. There's it's homeostasis, right? There's an equal and opposite reaction to everything. So, what is our goal? Is our goal in life is to maintain homeostasis? So, um, not being a medical doctor, you know, you know, with ADHD, if you if you have ADHD, then you know certain things that happen. Um, in your brain that don't allow you to focus do whatever and so how do you get to uh to homeostasis you know and that's for a doctor to to figure out but um in any case uh me just on personal um opinion you know i i would want to be educated fully on on anything that i would put in my body uh regardless right and it's the same as strength and conditioning i want to be educated educated on every exercise that I do everything everything's got to have a purpose behind it so uh, I think the education process behind all this uh, is the major key to success.
3: And coach can you talk about your bike and treadmill protocol that you use with your cognitive awareness program at the Houston Rockets? I still use it to this day and wherever I'm at but I wanted the, the people to hear it and understand.
1: The the which one is it? <laughs> remind me of? We got too say, many. We're not going to say the person's
3: name, but it's it's a treadmill um, warm up that you do with them just to get them going cognitively in the morning when they walk oh, in the building. Treadmill, okay. Oh yeah, oh, was, yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: you know me, I'm always thinking outside the box. Uh, so I, I I had this custom treadmill made. It's about uh, nine feet wide, twelve feet uh, in length. Uh, And then my thing is, is you got to blend the mind and body, right? So for, for true transfer to occur on the, on the court, on the field, uh, it's got to have some cognitive processing. Uh, You got to involve executive function. So instead of just jogging on the treadmill, these guys are moving in multiple directions and then I'll put fit lights or some sort of reactive component um, to it. So uh, in this case, we might use some fit lights. So they're they're moving on the treadmill, but then because it is a wider treadmill, now we can uh, the light will go off and they can accelerate towards uh, the light, have it come off, and then they change direction and come back. I'll incorporate a basketball, so they're actually dribbling a basketball on really a treadmill. Just is a is a forever moving floor, right? That's all it is. So uh, we're involving uh, executive function, cognitive processing, uh, and really just waking the brain up so that so these guys are more alert uh that's got to be part of the warm-up right is we got to wake the brain up uh and and body at the same time so uh, how can we create a a random environment uh, that they're going to encounter in the field in competition how can we recreate that uh in practice and in preparation so that was my goal with that so so my goal in the warm-ups is is we're going to wake the brain up first and then Body will come with it,
0: (laughs) yeah. Coach, will you be able to use that with your sort of return activity? Will you be able to measure it, like, or is that just something that is? Is it just the you just consider it a warm up?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you can measure. I think the key to measurement is that you're able to uh, have the environment needs to be the same each time, right? So you're putting them in, in a setting that, uh. You you know is fixed and you can repeat that. Um, It's difficult in our applied setting because you're you know you're going you're traveling across the country. Uh, There's a lot of different things in house in our weight room. We can replicate that protocol fairly easily, so we can get good data just on reaction time. I mean, even if it's as simple as measuring time, uh, you're getting some sort of data, right? Uh, But you can measure errors. Uh, there's a lot of different things you can do. But I think in a conditioning setting, uh, one, one test you could do is uh, for a longer period of time, something that it takes a little bit of endurance stamina, measure reaction time and see how that decreases over time. And that would be a, a good way uh, you know, to measure uh, their overall stamina uh, and put a number to it, right? So uh, especially if, you, if, you don't, if you're limited in space and everything and you wanted to test people from Zoom. Uh, how can you do that? Um, you know, you can give them certain drills where they have to complete it over a certain amount of time uh, and you can see how long uh, or how many uh, repetitions, things like that. Another tool we use is a quick board. Uh, great conditioning test when you don't have a lot of space. Uh, you've heard of the running anaerobic sprint test. Uh, where it's basically a, a 10 sprints uh, with a very short rest time in between, and then you're taking the speed of those each each rep, and you're, you're looking at the decrease, the percent decrease. Well, that's difficult. Um, so can you do that in a confined space? In our case, if we want to quantify it more consistently, we're using a quick board. But if you have an athlete count the amount of reps that they do over 10 seconds, and let's just say they get – 30 reps in 10 seconds of a foot fire drill and then they rest 10 seconds and then they repeat that 10 times. How many reps did they get at the end? How, how much, how much fatigue? And now you can uh, measure the, or you can calculate the, the percent decrease that occurred um, and see what their overall conditioning level is at their home. So there's, there's little adjustments that you can make uh, that can, uh, you know, uh, give you a little bit more feedback on where are <coughs> at his current state yeah. you know the, the, the another thing is you know you're measuring you're trying to find you're trying to measure you know how much fat, fatigue like the current state of an athlete is a, is an athlete fatigued well usually the fatigue is occurring from a mental standpoint so their their lack of focus or they're mentally fatigued if you can uh, incorporate these cognitive um, tools there's an app called soMA. S-O-M-A, SOMA, N-P-T, that uh, the athletes can download, and that can measure uh, some cognitive processing skills, simple reaction, uh, Stroop test, all the way to uh, more choice reaction type uh, exercises that you can implement. Uh, And and really, I use that to to not only activate and, and improve their level of focus and attention, but also it could be a good measurement of, how fatigued a person is uh, going into a training session.
0: I'm just listening to you and thinking about um, my experience and and conversations I've had with other uh, athletic performance, strength and conditioning professionals. And there is a void and absence of sports science Like, I don't know how you move forward and we're talking about integration and doing it safely and understanding what the research says and then having a coach, administrator, and others in the room that are ready to get the season going. I don't know how we make safe, informed decisions without understanding what sports science is. This podcast is sponsored by Soronex Exercise Equipment. Since 1980, Soronex has been a family-owned business responsible for legendary innovations and training solutions that have changed the face of strength training. Today, Soranex is the most sought-after strength brand for professional teams, colleges, high schools, and military units. During this process of growth, our clients have become an extended family to us, part of our brotherhood, our culture, we want to thank you, our customers, friends, and family, for being the foundation on which Soarnex is built. We promise to do our best to continue to serve you with the best strength training equipment and service in the industry.
2: Yeah, I think I agree with you, Pat. I think you're going to pro- your position there at Louisville will be probably at the center of uh, of getting. Things back for your fall sports in a safe fashion, uh, as a result of your communication skills and your skill set from your previous experiences. Uh, you can communicate with the other administrators. You can communicate with the head coaches and as well as the strength coaches uh, and the nutritionists to make sure everybody's moving in the same direction. and And I think uh, you know leadership will be crucial because without that, you're you're not going to have the proper communication and collaboration. Um, the getting people to understand something and and I think your point's well taken that it's hard to get people to understand that are actually in a superior position than the person that 's trying to message that because when you we get back, the first two two three weeks might go smoothly with the strength conditioning staff, the nutritionists, the athletic trainers, and now we bring the the actual sports coaches in, and they 're going hey we 're way behind so they're going to try to do installs where at a rate that they probably shouldn't. So this is what you had planned to do your installs in week one. You might want to take that and cut it back by 30, 40% because the, the one variable that uh, is going to be neglected is the, the effects of mental fatigue and mental stress on these athletes coming back because not only are they coming back, they're coming back for school they are coming back, and they're going to get hit with so much stuff at one time that the uh, the ability to manage the uh, the additional mental stress and demands uh, to be that's going to be just as hard as the physical demands.
0: Yeah. So if we look at the some of these research articles that we will send out and attach to this. Zoom call. I'm looking at one uh, exertional heat illness in American football players. When is risk the greatest? Uh, There's another one I'm looking at, 12 cases of exertional rhabdomyolysis in college football players from the same institution. So I'm looking at some of these um, articles. How do we use what's here to help us help others? How do we use this?
2: I think just as as, uh, as Javar had mentioned is the key is to communicate these to the athletes several weeks prior to them returning. So for two, three weeks out, we sort of know that, Hey, you may be back in the middle of July and nobody knows for sure, but let's just use that as an example that, uh, you know, the messaging to the players has to be, you know, made in a simplified form, you know, just take, three bullet points out of those particular articles that you mentioned there, Pat. And, and then sometimes the person that player might look in the mirror and say, Oh, geez, that's me. Um, And I think, I think they're aware. And I think Javar's points well taken is I think the keys to educate the players in a fashion that's not threatening or, uh, you know, scaring them to the point, but it's making them aware of who might be at risk and, and how to mitigate the instances for for some of those people that are at risk.
1: Yeah. I mean, a football athlete is so used to getting into shape running across a football field. Um, you know, in this case, they're at homes. How do they get in shape? And so for us, it's an educational process of if you give me a five-by-five five area, I will get you in better shape where your muscles are able to exert themselves uh, and and handle the stressors that, uh, you know, we're going to get your heart rate up uh, and, and we're going to, uh, you know, reduce the recovery times. We're going to do a high-intensity interval training session in the comfort of your own home, uh, and we're going to push you so that uh, you get to some – and this is just the goal, the focus and the goal is to maintain or improve – uh, yourself to a a moderate and acceptable level of conditioning so that when you do return, uh, you're able to take on. But if you are completely detrained, I mean, for us, you know, we're 26, 28 days in, uh, maybe, maybe a little bit more, you know, as you mentioned, Ted, like two weeks and you're detrained and that's like for a sedentary person. So you guys aren't sedentary, but they're not, they're not, um, being put in the environment, that they're typically in. So they're detrained. So how do we maintain a moderate level condition that is not replicable on the football field uh, to the football field? It's not replicable uh, to basketball, uh, you know, and and soccer and all these other sports, but how do we maintain a physiological, a cardiorespiratory uh, and muscular endurance, uh, you know, conditioning level uh, that's acceptable when they return? You know, it's no different than the Um, offseason. In all of our cases right now, the only difference is we have to make an adjustment and be really good at at, at educating and delivering programs that our athletes can do uh, with little to no equipment. And how do we do that? And there's ways to do that. You have to be creative. Uh, You know, you have to think outside the box. I know from a strength perspective, that's the biggest component. We know that eccentric strength works. We know that Isometric strengthening tools work under load, heavy loads, right? How do you, uh, you know, how do you replicate that? Uh, you know, I threw I threw uh, an Instagram post out there that, um, you know, I was, I have a truck that I was doing an isometric uh, pull, mid-thigh pull, heavily researched exercise, uh, mid-thigh isometric pull using my truck you know, is that crazy? Like whatever you want to think is crazy. Like I'm just being creative to provide, because I need, I know um, if I'm an athlete, I need to take on these loads and you, and train under resistance. Well, how am I going to do that if I don't have the equipment? Uh, Well, isometric training can work. So can you push against a wall? I mean, can you, can you find ways to exert maximal force uh, without equipment? So just use a wall would be a great, great start. Right. Um, and just max and change angles a little bit, but, but max effort against the wall, try to push. And if you're a lineman, um, you know, and you don't have weight, a wall can do a lot of good, at least to maintain a certain level of conditioning so that when you get back under the bench press or the squat rack, uh, that you don't break.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, No, no, Pat, go ahead. I was just going to ask you what are what are you communicating now to your strength coaches, Pat?
0: Right. Well, we operate um, as a team. So, with twenty three sports that that we have here, we have twenty three health and performance teams, and on and, and it's one director health and performance teams, which makes us have twenty four. And on each sport team's health and performance team is the a sports medicine person. Um, The physician is always there. The uh, sports psychologist, so the mental performance, mental health person, the uh, nutritionist, the strength coach, all of these people are, I'm constantly encouraging them to communicate at the highest level. So we have, we instituted what we call uh, the three C's, which are our core values. So care, like do you provide the the best care? How can we provide the best care, care for the athlete, care for one another, care for what we're doing. Uh, And then communication. How do we communicate verbally written body language with people up lateral down, no matter where they are in the organization. Uh, And then collaborate. How do we collaborate with the people in our departments, the people in other departments, how do we collaborate with the athletes? So, it's not just a situation where we're just dictating to the athletes. We need to be at a point where we've educated athletes, where we can actually collaborate with them on their training plan. And and same with coaches. Uh, we shouldn't be in a position where coaches are dictating what conditioning drills are being done, how long we're doing conditioning, or what, what modalities are being used in, in the training room. That should not be happening. We should be collaborating so that coach, if I need 30 minutes, I will use my experience and, and expertise uh to be as efficient as I can with those 30 minutes not being dictated what to do with those 30 minutes. So it's it's about communication and collaboration at the highest level. So how can we create win-wins for the athletes, coaches, everyone involved without compromising the health of the uh, and safety of the student athletes. It's it's um it's not easy because People are – some people can get um, really um, defensive about their areas because, you know, they take great pride in their areas. So how do we get past that and understand that there's a lot of gray area, there's a lot of intersections uh, with the athlete. The athlete – you don't get to split the athlete and say, this part is the nutrition part of the athlete. This part is the sports psych part of the athlete. This part is the performance and training. No, it's one athlete, and we all have to share – our care and how we provide that care with one another. So um, without depleting the tank and um, you know, we, we have to understand like Javar brought up homeostasis. We have to understand where that is. We have to understand uh, if we're taking too much out, are they replenishing what we're taking? Uh, And that takes a lot of collaboration.
1: What do you do regarding like the motivation? Since this is a new situation for, for our athletes to deal with. They've never really had to, this is brand new. So I feel like the first couple of weeks, everyone was, was motivated, but now you might be hitting this lull period where you're, you're not so motivated um, or you're losing focus uh, again, because you don't really have uh, a date in, in mind where you have to return. So it's hard. It's very difficult to plan. Um, so without purpose, you kind of get lost sometimes. So what are you doing to keep the guys focused? Uh, what are your goals right now, I guess, uh, to, to give more purpose?
0: You know, mental performance is like physical performance. So if, if, if you didn't prepare and you don't prepare, like it's hard to deliver your best physical performance. So if they didn't, if the if your athletes didn't know how to train before this uh, quarantine period, and they can't go in the gyms, and so when you say, "Hey, come up with a different press exercise," I need you to come up with a different pull upper body pulling exercise. I need you to come up with a different rotational core exercise. I need you to come up with a, um, a posterior chain dominant exercise. Like if you. If you've invested in your athletes and, and educated them, now you can say, you can have those conversations with them and say, hey, we're going to do total body. I want you to do, do total body three times a week. I want you to do an upper pull, upper press. You can uh, core, uh, lower hip, uh, hip hinge, uh, some sort of um, posterior chain dominant exercise on those three days. Here, exercise. If you can have those conversations with your athletes, you'll feel pretty confident. They'll feel pretty confident. They'll, they'll be competent. You will know they know what they're doing. Hey, uh, here's here's the work-to-rest ratio I want you to work on. Um, I want you to think of four-to-one. If you do a sprint for 15 seconds, what, what should be your rest time? They'll say, oh, around 60 seconds. Yeah. So no matter what you do, I want you to stay with that three-to-one, four-to-one uh, rest-to-work ratio. If you've invested, same thing with nutrition. I want you to have a good source of carb on your plate. I want you to um, – lean protein, uh, make sure you got a fruit and vegetable on your plate. If you've invested in them, and now during the quarantine time, they're at home, and, and you can continue that education, it's a lot easier for them to be motivated to to want to train when they know what, to do, what they're doing and why they're doing. It. It's a lot easier for them to eat, uh, to choose good foods to eat, if they know what to eat, why they're eating it, what the benefits are, How is that going to help them to maintain their gains? And if you put all of that work in on the physical side, it's there. What about the mental side? How much did we put in before quarantine? Did we teach them skills of focus? Did we teach them what concentration is? It's the opposite of distraction and how to how to did we teach them what time orientation is like how to be right here right now in the present. Did we teach them that most of our self-talk is negative and 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 how to how that you can only think one thought at a time so that if you have a negative thought, at least a negative performance and all you got to do is replace a negative thought with a positive thought. If you've invested time into them before the quarantine period, you can they can. They can call on though on that, that knowledge and be able to apply it so that now, okay, motivation. If you've invested in, in helping your athletes to be intrinsically and internally motivated as opposed to they only do what you tell them to do because they're scared to get in trouble or they're scared to get their, um, their, their checks reduced, whatever it is, if you've invested in external and extrinsic motivation before quarantine – you're going, to be, you're going to come up short. But if you've invested in internal and intrinsic motivation before quarantine and your athletes have that that drive within, they just become more driven during, during when, when they're faced with adversity as opposed to, Coach, I need you to push me. Coach, I need you to get me right. Coach, can you help me to – like, no, I, I want to invest so that – can you help you to get your mind right? And so if you, if we've invested in that before quarantine, it's a lot, we will feel a lot better right now knowing that our athletes are at home and they're equipped to deal with what's going on.
1: You know, I I have some athletes that have come to me and said, you know, I really hate getting in the weight room, but there, I know the reason why. And and so that's why I do it. So even the guy that had the toughest time uh, getting in the weight room, even uh, when, when everything's uh, going in a team setting um, are finding ways to make sure they get the working and are following up with us. Right. Or, 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 you know, you know, the guy who's calling you saying, Hey, what's this and this, you know, that he's doing the program. It's a guy who's not calling. Uh, it's like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta call and say, what you been doing? You know, but um, even the ones that aren't the most motivated to get in uh are still doing so because they know the purpose behind the exercises, the, the, they know what, they know the process that works for them, um, is going to, you know, and and that ultimately it's going to pay off. Uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, every single day, uh, it's not going to return to a routine, uh, that they would be in the team setting. However, um, you know, and, and it's a little bit more, uh, leeway regarding times, if, especially if it's an individualized workout. So uh, that's fine, but they are making sure that two, three times a week that they're getting their, their work in that that, is, uh, f- that fits them the most, right?
0: A, a guy that you and I both had a chance to be around and coach, uh, who's a pitcher for the Washington Nationals, yes. Max Scherzer, um, told me a few weeks ago that he moved, he has a friend who's a catcher his, the, his friend who's a catcher for the uh, Detroit Tigers moved his family in with Max's family and they wake up and throw and catch every day. And then they train, they lift. And then he said, and then we're dads in the evening yeah. living under the same roof. Now <laughs> it's, that's internally intrinsically motivated to be the best like we're going to we're going to shape our whole lives around what does it take to be ready. So, I don't think it's... It, it, so we have you have someone like him who may come in to camp pretty close to being ready. Then you have some that didn't quite weren't that innovative, weren't that creative. And, and so what are they doing? What are the how are they pitching and hitting and catching? And and when you bring all of those athletes back, and you have the whole range of those who are ready and not so ready. We've got to figure out how we're going to get everybody ready without breaking the Max Scherzer, because he's close to being game shape. And the person that just wasn't creative or motivated to be ready. We've got a huge, a huge task in front of us. And, and, and what do you have, Ted? I see you smiling.
2: <laughs> no, I what, what what I did is I went back and looked at you know when I first started into this business uh, in the in the late '70s, early '80s, um, and I was at Ohio State. Our players didn't report till August first, so I went back and looked at the football injury research from the late '70s, early '80s compared to the last ten years. and And, and back then, there was no twenty hour rule. And it was two-a-days every day for three weeks. So I looked at the injury rates, and really, you didn't see that many more injuries in the late 70s and, and 80s. And then I also looked at, I compared over the last 10 years, the injury rates between Division One football and Division Three football. Because Division Three football, they report August 1st, and you get ready for week one. And you don't see that much of a difference. Now, I'm not saying there's not going to be a spike in injuries this year. But if you look back at, at models where players didn't report till say, five, six weeks before the first game, there wasn't that dramatic uh, of an increase in injuries compared to what's happened the last 10 years. So, you know, you, know, you hope that is the case but it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens.
0: We know something that is different from back then, and that's social media and uh, the way (laughs) and media. So we'll see how that has an impact as well. Be interesting. It will be. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I think uh, we're pretty close to wrapping this up. What else do, uh, is there anything else we can um, hit on before we wrap this show up?
1: Thought oh, that was great. I mean, I think um, if we can, I don't, I don't know what uh, what happened to to uh, uh, Chris, but uh, he had
0: a meeting. He said he had a meeting. Really? Okay. He had to jump uh, off. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, if if we wanted to bring on Daniel real quick, if he's still there, I'm not sure if, if he's still there. He's.
0: he's can you guys me. see me or hear me? Hey. Yeah, uh, we can hear you. There you go. You're back. Uh, I'm back so We
1: wanted to bring on Daniel as a, a special guest to end uh, the show the right way right and uh, bring on a, a tremendous leader
4: uh, Well I'll tell you guys I've been listening to the whole time man there's so many times I was ready to jump on in and participate but I don't know if that was my, my role today or not but um, I'd love to be be a part another time uh, in the round table discussion night I uh, it was just really funny to, to listen in. and there's so many times I would really touch that button and say I want to get in there. Uh, but and, I'll, and that's I'll, uh, let me know when the right time is.
1: Unfortunately, it was and we would have called you in. Unfortunately, your sound is, is just always like it's it's messed up
0: <laughs> to be honest. Like, We've this, got to catch this, you that. when you're not on a run. Out to, it, about. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah.
0: When the, I got you. Sorry when, about
1: that, guys. On Wi-Fi. Yeah. Uh, in a quiet place, but um, we can obviously set that up, but.
4: Yeah. Um, I can go next week, man. or Next time you guys do it, man. I'll just be at home.
1: Yeah. and Appreciate it. Um, uh, Daniel, I just wanted to, I know, you know, obviously our purpose is a, to spread an educational, uh healthy word uh, at this time. Um, yeah. You know, And I think you know, we made an adjustment from an association standpoint through the NBA. We made our adjustment. Um, and that's uh, what we would typically provide in the combine uh, as a live event. We switched it to a virtual event. So, um, you, as president of the association, uh, the National Basketball Strength and Conditioning Association, you know, I, I know that uh, this is something that, that you've been working hard on, uh, and just wanted to hear uh, a little bit more about it.
4: Yeah, it is. You know, thanks for saying saying. You know, the whole purpose of us even joining started an association back in oh seven oh eight. Was for a lot of the same, the three C's that uh, Dr. Ivy talked about was talked about a way to collaborate, a way to communicate, and a way to talk about how we provide the best care to our athletes using the most up to date scientific research and using collaborating all our different experiences all together. And the one, the really unique thing is about each year at the Combine, we have an opportunity to, the one time year, all the strength and condition coaches, trainers, PTs, directors, GM's players, everybody's all at the same place at the same time and we just, we started back probably about She seven eight years ago now, or even maybe longer started doing our uh, we do a a symposium uh, uh, a, a, a Conference to get everybody together we invite people from all over the country to speak in different in different areas and This year obviously because the situation we're in we decided to make it a webinar and to go virtual so What we're doing, and we partnered with the NSCA, and we're going to have a seminar. It's going to be Saturday, May 23rd. We start at 8 a.m. We have a lot of great speakers. We got speakers uh, um, from different strength coaches with different backgrounds, which is uh, really, really exciting. Um, I I can uh, tell you guys all about the speakers, but if we can save that for another time, there it is. Um, There he is. We have, uh, as you know, we we have a keynote speaker, Pat will be speaking, Garrity uh, from the Troy Pistons. And uh, right there, the feature NBA experts. I mean, you guys can see it right there all for yourselves. But Dr. Michael Erd, Tudor, uh, Coach Schlesinger at the Suns, a lot of great college experience there. Coach Kenyon with the Blazers, uh, Barr over at New York, and uh, Coach Paul at the Thunder. So, and then we got, Co- yeah, we got uh, Lee coming in as well. and We have some other uh, great panels. So, it's going to be a really fun, fun event. And this is the, the first. And the way we're kind of learning now is we, don't have, we didn't have to wait for a pandemic to start doing more. Uh, online virtual uh, continuing education opportunities. And I think this will be one of the more in the future that won't be just based around the combine in May. So um, more than anything, it's an opportunity to hear hear from other professionals and, and uh, we'll have a roundtable, some discussions and some breakout sessions. So it should be a fun, fun experience. Uh, Javar put a lot of work into this uh, as well, organizing it. And he did a big thing last year. When he kind of changed the format where it was more interactive and it was uh, the feedback was great on it, so I'm really looking forward to around uh, year two this year, and hopefully try to get this another time, uh, not just every year in May. So uh, that's what we got going on.
0: That's that's awesome. Uh, I looked at some names on there that was on uh, on our staff, um, Andrew Paul and Tadora Pandolf were. Yeah, we may have been all on on the same staff at the same time at one point. Uh, oh wow, so that's pretty cool. So Very yeah, cool. I can't wait to tune on. in
1: we could have a conference with just everyone that has worked with and under Pat Ivy. I mean, that, that would be an <laughs> educational experience uh, in itself. Uh, that is for sure. Uh,
0: oh man, come on. Yeah. Uh, well, well, thank you all. And, and I will definitely want to give a shout out to Sorenex for helping us out. Um, I know they've been helping me out there. They're a sponsor. So uh, thank you guys. It's been great. This is a, uh, this is our first one, one first of many will, we'll continue to fine tune it and, and, uh, look for your feedback as well. So please, uh, if you all have any comments or questions or just how to, uh, continue to make this even better, um, love for you to just, uh, drop a note. You can, you can leave it at, on my website at pativy.com or beyond and uh, whatever it may be and appreciate you guys. So before we leave, um, why don't you all just tell our listeners where they can find you? What's the best place?
1: Uh, so, I mean, Instagram, uh, at Javar Gillette, make sure it's it's not Javier, please. Uh, it's spelled J A V as in Victor, A I R Gillette without the E at the end, uh, no relation to the razor. So, uh, at <laughs> Javar Gillette, uh, I think that's the best place. Uh, direct message me through that. And, um, you can also find me on LinkedIn uh, and I check that and, and respond to people all the time on there too. So uh, open book. would love to, uh, to hear and, and talk shop uh, with all you guys.
4: Very good. Similar to Javar. Um, I'm on Instagram at King Shapiro 21 um, or I will as well as LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty open. If anybody, if you want to email, I'm D Shapiro at clippers.com D S H a p i r o at clippers.com
2: you can find me i'm on linkedin and my email is t underscore lambert at yahoo.com
0: all right thank you all uh appreciate you all joining us i think this has been pretty good so uh we'll go ahead and wrap it up
4: thanks take care. Take care. <laughs> all right see you guys bye-bye
0: This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Soranex Exercise Equipment. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. You can find show notes and more at beyondsetsandreps.com. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D-S-E-T-S-A-N-D-R-E-P-S dot com.